I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. Plushcare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Maddie, I was walking down the street the other day, and I met someone that knows you from, I don't know, from your past, maybe, mm-hmm. so I don't know, but they were, you know, I was saying, yeah, I know Matt, and... They were saying that they, you know, they know you as well. And they said that you're a 10. They said, Maddie, that guy, he's a 10. And, uh, looks, and I went, looks. really? Well, I, I had, to, yeah, well, I queried them further. I said, what do you mean a 10? And they said, 10 on the pH scale, because that boy basic. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about, you could probably tell from my joke at the beginning, uh, acid and base, and so the physiology the, of acid and base. So, is that the it's sca- scale? The the pH scale. Oh, Little pH. P, big H. P, oh, pH, sorry. That's right. And we're going to talk about that today. Uh, but before we get started, let's talk about some housekeeping. Uh, if you want to ask us any questions, if there's any topics you want us to cover for you, please send us an email, gubiosciences at gmail.com, or you can just contact us on Twitter, which is gubiosciences, that's the Twitter handle, also on Instagram, gubiosciences as well. Feel free to contact us, ask, any, uh, ask us any questions or whatever. Topics. Topics. Correct, Michael. Yeah, I'm always wrong. Matt's more wrong than I am, so basically you listen to a podcast that's just filled with mistakes. <laughs> All right. Today, acid-base balance, what an acid is, what a base is, and physiologically why it's important, and then some conditions. And then our next podcast will most likely be on ABGs, which is arterial blood gases, which will obviously... What the clinical test to... Clinical test. See what's going wrong. So, shall we start off with defining... A few things. A few things? Mm-hmm. All right. Should we first define pH? I think start with an acid. 
Oh, okay. All right. Okay. First thing is everyone needs to be aware of hydrogen ions. Now, remember, an ion is a charged atom or element. And as a lot of you are probably aware, when you look inside of the fluids of your body, you've got intracellular compartments, which is inside the cell, mm-hmm. extracellular compartments outside the cell and in the blood. Yep. And if you were to take a sample of a patient's blood, so their plasma, you can actually have a look at the various concentrations of charged atoms and elements. What are right. some examples of these charged atoms or elements? Uh, so are these electrolytes? These are electrolytes. Right. So this is what you have in your bottle of Gatorade. And I was going to. So an electrolyte is basically a salt. What it is is it's a molecule that, when placed into water, it disassociates into ions. That's what an electrolyte. So it gets a charge. Is. It gets a charge. So what are these? So does that mean it's neutral beforehand and then it becomes charged? All right. Let me give an example. You're right. Salt. Normal table salt, which we know is sodium chloride, NaCl. See how there's no positive or negative there? Mm -hmm. Because the chloride's negatively charged, the sodium's positively charged, together they balance each other out. Yet when you put salt in water, they disassociate and you get sodium ion, which is Na+, Mm -hmm. and chloride ion, which is Cl negative. So basically our blood and our fluids are filled with these types of salts. Okay. So apart from sodium and chloride, what are some other examples, Matty? Uh, potassium. Potassium. Yeah, that's K. K plus. Okay. Yeah. So it's if it's a cation, yep. it's um, a plus charge. So do you know cat- how to remember that? This is how I tell my students how to remember cation versus anion. If you like cat- cats, cats are always positive. Maybe. Well, if you like cats, that's a that's a positive. Is it? I'm allergic to cats, so I hate it. So in actual fact, it's really difficult for me to remember. But cations positively charged. Why do you hate cats? I'm allergic to them. I don't hate. What them. happens to you? <laughs> I puff up. Okay. Uh, breathing becomes difficult. All right. And I asphyxiate. Maybe, maybe we can add that later to I what... collapse onto the floor holding my throat. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. Okay, okay. All right, so I usually remember it by cations has a T in it, which mm. is like a plus sign. No, it's no, not. That's how I do it. It's more like a cross. All right, cross T plus. <laughs> All right, so other cations within the body. Oh, sorry. So we've got sodium is a, probably the most abundant. Most abundant outside the cell. Okay. We've got potassium, which is the most abundant in the cell. Is yep. that right? Um, we've also got calcium. Yep. Uh, which is... Mainly outside okay. the cell. Magnesium. So calcium is Ca2+. Magnesium is Mg2+. Mm-hmm. Uh, some negatively charged... So some Chloride. anions. Chloride, Cl negative. Okay. Bicarbonate. Bicarbonate. They're the HCO3 big, they're the big ones, right? They're the major ones. That's right. So, okay, so my whole point was we're trying to define an acid and base. And so I had to bring up these first because when you take a patient's blood, you can measure the concentration of these things. And everything needs to be in homeostasis, which is a nice, happy, healthy range. So we never want one value of anything. It's always between a particular range. So for sodium, for example, do you know what the range of sodium should be in your blood? Well, let's just pause for one second. Mm. And acid is just referring to hydrogen, right? I'm going to get to that. Okay. <laughs> but before we get to the ranges, yeah, are we fair by saying an acid is a substance that donates the hydrogen? It's going to get to that too. Oh, sorry, my bad. There's a whole I, setup that I'm working ooh, through, okay. so you just got to trust me. I couldn't see your brain ticking over. Mm. All right, so uh, what was your question? Sodium in water? What's the sodium concentration oh, your within blood? your blood? Plasma. In your blood. So if I took a vial of blood out and they did the biochemistry on it, mm-hmm. um, it would come back, if it was in normal range, approximately 135 to 145 
millimolar okay. per litre. Millimol. So mi- you don't have to say per litre if you say millimolar, but you can say millimoles per litre. Can't you have like deciliters? Say that again. Isn't? It, can't you also get <laughs> what per hundred mils? Isn't there some measurements per hundred? Deciliter. Mils? Yeah. Yeah. So yep. So you can so you can have deciliters or mil- or millimoles per litre. But if you say millimolar. That is per litre. Oh, right. So, so millimole. Yeah. So, or you could say milliequivalents. Now, basically, uh, what we're referring to when we say molar is it's basically a concentration. And okay. at the moment, you probably don't really need to be aware of what that concentration means. It's how many moles per litre of a solution. And one mole is what we call Avogadro's number, which is 6.022 times 10 to the 23 atoms. I thought it was just a, an animal. Like a mammal. It is, like the naked mole rat, <laughs> which is your spirit animal, isn't it? That was my nickname. The naked mole rat. <laughs> so, so uh, the concentration of sodium inside blood, uh, your blood plasma is 135 to 145 millimolar. Okay? All right. All right. So, what's the concentration of potassium, for example, in your blood plasma? So, this is outside the cells? This is outside the cells. 3.5 to 5 millimolar. Okay. Now, hydrogen ions, which again is just another ion, just like sodium, just like potassium. Hydrogen ions, when you measure that, do you know what the concentration of that is in your blood? Ooh. Um. It's, a, it's, a, it's a very, very small number. If you compare it to 145 for sodium and 4, for example, millimoles, for potassium, mm-hmm. hydrogen ion concentration is 0.00004 millimoles. How many zeros millimolar. That's four zeros and then a four. That's millimoles per litre. That's the hydrogen ion concentration inside your blood. That number's too small. Where do we get these hydrogen ions from? This is where we go back to what you were saying. Acids. Mm. Acids produce hydrogen ions. So acids... So instead of just, just to clarify, so sodium's 140 millimole. Yep. So what would um, hydrogen be if you weren't going to use milli? Could you use another? Yeah, so okay. So... We need to be aware that when we do calculations and we start off with molar, mm-hmm. that's, that's, a big, that's a big number. A molar is concentration and then something can be millimolar and then something can be micromolar and then something can be nanomolar. Right. And what's the difference? Well, if I had one molar of something and I wanted to find out what it was in millimoles, mm. millimolar, then it's a thousand times difference. You're going to move that decimal place three places. Three, three. So, one molar is going to be 1,000 millimolars. I've just moved the decimal place okay. to the right three, three places. So, three so now zeros. I've got three zeros there. Mm-hmm. If I want to find out what a thousand millimolars is with micromolar... Mm because it's even smaller, while well, there's going to be more of them there, you move it another three decimal places, so you have... Six. Six? Six. One million. Okay. So you now have one million micromolar, and you can keep moving it that way. You can go in the opposite direction too. And so then you go to nano, which is nine. Nine zeros. And so then you'd be, if you wanted to be accurate, you could say that the concentration of hydrogen ions is 
let's say, ballpark 40 nanomolar. That's right. You reckon we've confused people yet? Yeah, probably. All right. Back to basics. Back to basics is this. If I have, if I measure in a patient's blood 140 millimolar of sodium ions Mm. in the blood serum, that's millimolar. We can play around with that and we can express it as molar, right? Or we can express it as micromolar or nanomolar. You just got to change the decimal places. So if I've got 140 millimolar Mm. and I want to find out what it is in molar, well, molar is a larger measure of units. So you'll move the decimal place to the left three three places. One, two, three, which means the sodium ion concentration in blood plasma is 0.14 molar. Okay. And you can move it in the opposite direction, which means you'll have 140,000 micromolar concentration. It's all the same thing. It's okay. it's all the same thing. You're just using different units of measurement. Yep. It may be boring. It may be quite difficult to get your head wrapped around, but it's really important clinically, especially with hydrogen ion concentration. All right. So we've got a pretty well-established sodium concentration that we'll use in our blood charts yep. and potassium. Yeah. But now you've given me this very minuscule hydrogen number. Yes. Which is got um, seven zeros after the decimal place. Yep. Uh, four. That's is that right? Yep. If okay. you're measuring it in molar. Yeah. So, right. yep. So and so, that you're not going to write that on a chart. No. So, how would you change that to make it a bit easier? Okay. Easy. So, like Matt said, you don't want to write on a chart next to 145 millimolar of sodium and 4 millimolar of potassium. You don't want to write 0.00004 millimolar of hydrogen because it's ridiculous. Plus, you're going to lose count of the zeros. And, you you know, if you lose count of one zero, patient will be dead, right? So, we don't express hydrogen ion in the same concentration units that we express all the other ions. Okay. We express it as pH. And this is how you get to millimolar, or this is how you get to pH from millimolar. All right. So, if you write out the hydrogen ion concentration is equal to 0.00004 millimolar, what you can actually do is, because there's so many zeros, we need to get rid of those zeros, And the way we get rid of those zeros is a calculation which is called log. Now, the log of something is to the power of 10, which means if the log of 10 is 1 because there's one zero there. The log of 100 is 2 because there's two zeros there. Log of 3 and uh, and 1,000 is 3. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. Okay, so if I were to log 0.0004 millimolar, what I'd end up getting is a number which is negative 7.4. Okay? That's just if you put it in your calculator. Don't stress out really about what that truly means. But all the log does is it calculates how many zeros there are. Right, okay. Now, if we were to calculate it from molar, there's seven zeros and a four. Hence, and because you're moving in the backwards direction to calculate it, it's negative 7.4. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, I've got the log of hydrogen ions is negative 7.4. You don't want to write that down either. You don't want to have to write on a chart, log hydrogen ions equals negative 7.4. Right. We've got to get rid of that negative because it doesn't mean much. Yep. So then you do the negative log of it. Okay. So if you do the negative log, then you get rid of the negative. And you get 7.4. And you get 7.4. But you don't want to write negative log of hydrogen ions because, again, that's ridiculous. The negative log can also be written as the power of something. So negative log is equivalent to the power 
to something. So the power of hydrogen ions is 7.4. The okay. shorthand of power of hydrogen ions could be written as pH. Uh, so that's how you get the 7. pH. 4. So it's not fur. It's, it's not fur. It's a little p meaning power and a big H for hydrogen ions and it's 7.4. And it's telling you that there's seven zeros and then a four in the negative direction. And that's the concentration in molar of hydrogen ions. Right. Is that confusing enough? I think um, half of the listeners are asleep. Yeah. And, and we've just got a whole lot of chemists doing chemistry majors yeah. listening now. <laughs> All right, so that's... And so the hydrogen can also be called sometimes protons, right? Yeah, they're synonymous with each other. Okay. All right, so we've now established that the pH in, let's say, the normal physiological body fluid, extracellular body fluid, should be around the range of 7.35 to 7.45. Really important. Okay, so that is the pH range, and we've figured out that there's a a small amount of hydrogen in the body mm -hmm. or in the fluid in comparison to a lot of the other electrolytes or other cation anions. Mm. Um, why is it so small? Why is hydrogen number so small? Is there a reason? No idea. Well, it's a very reactionary um, cation. Ah. So it can cause quite, uh, not destructive, but in terms of chemical reactions, quite dramatic things, particularly... Um, the way it associates with anions and probably one of the most abundant type of anions in the body, uh, proteins. Ah. And so if you've got hydrogens or hydrogen ions building up in the body, therefore there's more of them and they're going to jump on board to certain things that are trying to soak them up. So okay. we should, yeah, absolutely. I and think so if, you know how you spoke earlier about um, neutral? Mm. So I guess if there's other things in the body that have a negative charge, like proteins, um, the plus of the hydrogen can jump on the negative of those and it can cause uh, a change in the nature of those proteins, which is sometimes what we call a denature. Perfect. And if the proteins aren't working, then we've got some big problems. Perfect. But before we talk about the yeah. importance of regulating that pH of yeah. 7.35 to 4.5, let's yeah. just quickly make sure we've um, defined all the terms well enough. Yeah. So we've set an acid is a substance that can donate hydrogen into the solution. Correct. Such as hydrochloric acid. Okay, so that's it has HCl. No charge. It has no charge until it's dissolved in water and then it disassociates into the hydrogen ion, which is H+, and the chloride ion, which is Cl negative. And is that the base or the conjugate it's base? It's the conjugate base. Yeah, okay. Uh, because... The uh, definition of a base is something that mops up hydrogen ions. Okay. So, simple. Acids release hydrogen ions. Bases mop them up. They okay. like to hug them and never let them go. Okay. So, a base then, the definition would be then the opposite. So, it's something in a solution that could... Mops them up, like I or, just said. Or accept it. Yeah. And that could be, again, going back to... You could say hydrogen ions or you could say protons. Yeah, whichever. Is that right? Yeah, whichever. Okay. Now... Michael, please give yeah, us a definition of what a buffer is. Okay. A buffer basically resists drastic changes in pH change. So what a buffer does, so you can have a chemical buffer or a physiological buffer or whatever it may be, a buffer is something that when the pH 
begins to change. And this may mean that something happens in the body where we start to accumulate hydrogen ions or something happens in the body where we have not enough hydrogen ions. The body needs to stay within that 7.35 to 7.45 pH. Okay. So what we didn't say to the listeners mm. is that the pH scale goes from 0 to 14. Okay. So and 0? 0 is the most acidic which means it has the highest amount of hydrogen ions. Okay. And 14 is the most basic and has the least amount of hydrogen ions. And so because it's a log scale, does that mean every time that you... And it's a negative log, right? Correct. So as you go to a smaller number, yep. because it's negative, it's actually coming closer to a whole number. Is that right? Perfect. So what you need to do is if you were to write out 0 to 14 on a line... Right, and you were to go to seven pH seven, which is right in the middle, just which we call. I'm just writing it on your wall. Okay. Oh, oh, you could use the whiteboard, but that's all right. So pH seven, which is neutral. Okay. If you have a look at that, and you write out how many hydrogen ions there are, or the concentration mm-hmm. in molar. Mm-hmm. Well, because like you said, it's a log scale, so it's to the power of ten, and it's a pH seven, so there's seven zeros. But because you said it's mm. in the negative direction. It's seven zeros behind the decimal point. Okay. So it's zero point zero 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 one. Okay. So, so that's it. That's yeah. what it is. That's the co- molar of, of hydrogen ions at pH seven. All right. Because this is important because I, I find a lot of my students do get this confused when you talk about an acid, mm. something that becomes more acidic. Mm. They sometimes think that the number should get bigger. Correct. But it's actually getting smaller. No, number's getting, number is getting okay. bigger. But in, terms, <laughs> um, but in terms of the, the number and the pH. Yeah, okay. the, the, the number and the pH it, scale is getting smaller. It appears to be going lower. So you might, let's say in your stomach you've got a pH of one or two mm. and you'd think, some students think, oh, that's not a very big number, but actually... There's a lot more hydrogen there than there yeah. would be at, say, nine. That's right. Okay. That's right. So, in actual fact, if you go from pH 7 to pH 6, okay. we know we're going to a more a lower number, but it's more acidic, yeah. which means we have a higher amount of hydrogen ions. Right. And in actual fact, you have so 10 d- times more hydrogen ions at a pH 6 than you do a pH 7. Right. So, if you had a pH 7 mm-hmm. uh, and you jump to 6, yep. it at first glance, it appears that it's... Just you're losing a number by one, mm-hmm. but in fact, you're gaining 10 times more hydrogen. That's right. So, every time you go, basically, every time you move one spot on the pH scale, you're changing the hydrogen ion concentration times 10. Okay. So, pH 7 to a pH 6, you've got 10 times more hydrogen ions. In pH 6 solutions. to a pH 5, 10 times more hydrogen ions. Mm. pH 5 to a pH 4, 10 times more hydrogen ions. And then you go the opposite direction until you hit a pH 0. Right? Yeah. What you then have is one molar concentration of hydrogen ions. Okay. Then you go to a pH 2, you got 0.1 molar hydrogen ions. Okay, great. pH 3, 0.01 molar. See how the number's getting smaller even though the number on the pH scale is getting bigger? Mm. Until you get all the way to 14, a pH 14, this is the concentration in molar of hydrogen ions. It's zero point zero 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 one molar. Small number, right? Well, I guess so. Yeah, well, yeah, it is small number. So, have we got that point across? You reckon? I think so. I think it's well, it's clear to me. Yeah, well, if it's clear to you, then everyone else will get it. Because I'm basic, right? Hey, hey, you hey. are All basic. Right. So, in front of Michael is a bottle of water. Yeah, okay. tell him it's water. So, 
Sorry? Nothing. Go on. So, it's a bottle of water. Yeah. Uh, let's just say there's nothing in, in it besides H2O. Can we assume that? Yeah. Now, if I get... We can assume that. So, <laughs> all right. So, if I get an acid like HCl... Yeah. And actually, stop. Hammer time. If I put a pH meter in that bottle of water... Yeah. Let's assume it's deionized. So, what would the water's pH be? Seven. Okay. Seven. Neutral. Fairly neutral. Why is water neutral? Uh, is this yeah. just a deep philosophical question? No, no, it's oh. not. It's actually a chemistry-based question. <laughs> if you write out water... Uh, H2O. H2O. Hydrogen, uh, and which are two, and one oxygen. Wow. So it looks like Matt finished grade eight. So if you write that out, uh, if you're actually to write... So you write out the oxygen, so write a zero, and then put two little arms coming off the O, not a zero, the O, and then... One of them goes to one H, the other goes to another H, and make it look like a boomerang. That's what water looks like as a molecule. Two H's and an O. So oxygen's essentially a strain then. Oh, yeah. sorry, water is a strain. Basically, because it's yeah. a boomerang. Yeah, uh, oh, if you if you want to be a nationalist. So the hydrogen ion, those two hydrogen ions have partial positive charges, mm-hmm. and the oxygen has partial negative charges. Now, what that means is. What you'll find is that water, the negative O, is going to attract other hydrogen ions from other water molecules. And the positive H's are going to attract other uh, oxygen from other water molecules. And they basically... Just join each other. Yeah, they bind each other up. So you've got this equal amount of hydrogen being released and being attracted and being released and being attracted. And that gives you the kind of the state of water? It gives you the state of water. So whether it's vapor, whether it's a solid, whether it's a fluid. Yep, and if you th- yeah, so basically right. All right, so back to your water. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You, you got your chemistry hat on today. Yeah, well, just want to ask a simple one question. Of us and need, you go. One of us needs to be an intellect. <laughs> so I put a pH mean in your water, which you're now drinking, mm. um, and the pH is seven. <sighs> is seven? Yeah, it's correct? about seven. Yeah. All right. Now I. Pull- in actual fact, if you want to look at the pH of pure distilled water, it's going to be about six point eight eight. But that doesn't matter, Matthew. All right. So I get out my vial of HCl, hydrochloric uh, acid. Yeah. And then I'd do a, I'd put a drop into it. So you're basically trying to poison me. Yeah. So the hydrogen chloride, the hydrogen chloride <laughs> HCl goes into the water. Yeah. And immediately kind of hits the water. Uh, it will dissociate. Hydrogen ions will go into the uh, one side and the chloride will kind of go into another area. Yeah. Is I mean, fair? it's all together, but it's disassociating. Yeah. you got the hydrogen but, ion. And so if I've got chloride. the pH meter still there, yeah. uh, what I'll see is quite a um, rapid drop in... Uh, the pH. Correct. So it's becoming closer to zero. Yeah. That's a big problem. All right. Yeah. Now, one of my favorite physiological um, uh, professors, mm-hmm. he stated... Me? Is it me? Uh, no. Okay. He stated that there was an experiment done like this, mm. but I think they compared it to the water, mm. to dogs. So what they did was they got an acid, and obviously this was done back in the day when there wasn't much animal ethics. Yeah. And they just injected it into the dog. Whoa. They injected hydrochloric acid into a dog. I'm not sure what the acid is, but yeah. they injected some kind of acid. Regardless, yeah. Straight into the dog's blood, I guess. Okay. And then uh, maybe somewhere else in the dog, they took blood out. Mm. And as they injected the acid at the same proportion as they put it in the bottle of water or mm. the container of water, mm. they noticed that the pH in the dog didn't change as dramatically as the bottle of water. The so they had a hypothesis in which it's we know how much the pH would change in water mm. of the same volume, mm. but we're going to put it into blood within an animal of the same volume, and it didn't change as drastically. No. 
Okay. So when the water, when the container of water got down to, let's say, one in the dog... pH of one. Yeah, pH one. Mm. In the dog, it was like 7.3. Wow. So it took a lot before it changed. So a dog's buffers. Yeah, so they then found... uh, And again, I'm not sure when this was. Probably... Sounds like the 50s. (laughs) Probably before that. Um, Anyway, they found that there's something in the the biological system Mm. to stop this drastic change. And this is where the the idea of the buffer, a buffering system came about. And a buffering system basically, like like we said, resists drastic changes to pH, but they can do it in either direction. So they can... uh, uh, absorb or mop up hydrogen ions if there's too many and they can release hydrogen ions if there's not enough. Yep. That's basically the premise, right? Yep. And there's many different types of these buffering systems throughout the body. Mm. Yeah? So it's kind of like... Why do we need them first? So uh, like, like... It's kind of like... Use another na- analogy from the same professor. He said it's kind of like um, his father, let's say, when he was starting to earn money. He had, his father was a buffer for his economy. So when he... <laughs> Earned a lot, earned the money, and got his paycheck at the, at the end of the week. His dad took some money off him and kept it to himself, um, so he wouldn't spend it all, mm-hmm. um, which seemed a bit mean. Yeah. But when he was on holidays and didn't work for a couple of weeks, his father then gave him back some money, and so he Here's was a financial buffer. Financial buffer. Okay. So to resist too much dra- drastic change. Well, there you go. Makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So, why do we need this? Yeah, so I think, uh, if, why are we talking about it for hydrogen ions, but we don't, we're not talking about buffers for sodium ions or potassium ions? Why, why do we need buffers for hydrogen ions specifically? Well, I think we said earlier that hydrogen ions or protons are very reactive mm. in the fluids mm. and they can be very devastating yeah. to anions, particularly, as we said, protons, because I think in many cases, proteins... Um, have a negative charge associated with them, and therefore, like we said, the proton, the, sorry, the proteins will be soaking up those um, hydrogens, and that's going to change the intrinsic structure, nature of the proteins. So, so basically, hydrogen ions. You know, you look at the periodic table. You got hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon. You keep going through, and they're in their neutral form in the periodic table. But what you're going to find is physiologically or often within the environment, they're not always in this neutral form. Hydrogen, when it's within the body, within a solution, is often H+, which means it's deficient of an electron. And it wants to be happy. It wants to be healthy. It wants to be whole. And to be whole, it needs to get that electron to be neutral again. So it will do anything it possibly can to get that electron. Where can it get electrons from? Well, it can go scavenging throughout the body and it can pull electrons off our cells, destroy cell walls, start uh, binding to proteins and finding other chemicals to pull these electrons off. It can share electrons with other other uh, atoms or elements within the body. And so, like you said, it's highly reactive in this way. Okay. And so the body needs to sort of mitigate this process because if this happens too much, then like you said, it's going to it's going to start pulling these electrons off proteins. And yep. proteins do pretty much everything in the body. Yeah, right. And Can so, you give me some examples of So proteins, proteins are enzymes, for example. All right, so. so enzymes 
help us uh, increase the speed of certain reactions right. and help these reactions take place. Okay. Now, these enzymes will only function within the pH, well, depending on where we're looking at right. within the yeah, body, yeah, yeah, yeah. will only function at a pH between 7.35, 7.45. Mm-hmm. If you start kicking that out of whack by having too many hydrogen ions, for example, right. then it's going to start changing the morphology of these proteins. Right. They're gonna, th- now, when you look at a protein... Yep. A protein is this three-dimensional shape, and like you've said previously, you're going to have certain side chains of these proteins. So some proteins are going to be negatively charged, some will be positively charged. So, so proteins are made up of amino acids. Yeah. Built they're the building block of a of a protein. Yeah. So little bricks, you know, thousands, millions of amino acids will form a protein, mm-hmm. and together thousands. Okay. Hundreds yeah. to thousands. I got. A bit excited. Tens, tens to hundreds to thousands. All right. So you've got all these little bricks of amino acids yep. at different orders that then create the house of a protein. And all these amino acids have different personalities and characteristics. Yeah. And so depending on how they're arranged would ultimately depend on the 3D structure of the protein, right? So can I give an example yep, just sure. quickly? So let's say we take five amino acids and let's say one likes water, one hates water, one is very negatively charged, one is very positively charged, and the other one is very negatively charged. Or neutral. Or neutral. What's going to happen is when they click together, they're going to now form a three-dimensional conformation or Mm. a three-dimensional shape which best suits their properties. So the one that hates water is going to be embedded deep within the protein. The one that likes water is going to be on the outside of the protein. The one that's negatively charged wants to go towards the one that's positively charged and one that's neutral probably doesn't care where it's located. And then what you get at the end of the day is this without any influence by us or whoever or whatever doesn't... Nothing is actually telling it to go into its three-dimensional shape, but its intrinsic characteristics. Yeah. But the problem, is, but this happens within an environment of seven point three five, seven point four five pH. Yeah, yeah. If you change that pH, you can change the characteristics and properties yeah. of those amino acids. So if you start changing the pH, something that was originally negative may now yeah, be yeah. positive, and now or neutral or neutral. Yeah, because and it soaks up that hydrogen. Exactly, and yeah, so now yeah. it may not be. On the outside of the protein, maybe on the inside, which then changes its function. And that could turn it off. That could right? turn it off. Yeah, and that's or, called generally denaturing the protein. That's right? right. And so another example of how that happens is heat mm. or temperature. It's actually synonymous. Temperature yeah. and acid changes, uh, you get the same effect on proteins. Yeah. And you can see that as an example when you have an egg. Yes. Um, an egg um, has maybe a more fatty or cholesterol yolk. And then the white or the clear part is albumin, which is a heap of protein. Mm. And if you, as you know, if you break it and put it on a hot plate, um, that white or that clear goes white, which is now denatured. Same mm. thing would happen, right? If you if put it in a vinegar. acid. Yeah, acid. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, and, and so you have enzymes or proteins in your body that allow you to carry out a whole array of processes to yeah. keep you alive. Yeah. Keeping pumps going, keeps um, metabolism going. And a good thought of that is think about reptiles. Yeah. Um, if you put a reptile in a cold room, mm. it won't move. It will just stay curled up or just yeah. stationary. But then it moves out in the sun. It heats up. Proteins go towards their pH. Oh, sorry, their temperature that they like to work at. And then and m- they start metabolism to starts to kick, kick in. in. Yeah. So if we look at the hydrogen ion concentration within the body, in the blood it has to be seven point three five, seven point four five. That's the blood, but Different parts of the body have different hydrogen ion concentrations. 
huge range differences. Like we know that the stomach produces huge amounts of hydrogen ions, and that's through something called proton pumps. Now, if a proton pump is working, it's pumping out heap, heaps of hydrogen ions into the stomach. If it's not working, where the food is, where the food, where is. the food is, and the whole point there is to denature proteins to make digestion easier. So that's, they're the proteins that you just ingested. That's right. Mm. So that's that's what the hydrogen ions, the the the, the acid that the stomach's releasing to create to have the hydrogen ions present denatures proteins it doesn't chop it up it mm. just helps to unfold unravel them. them and unravel them and change the conformation like we stated before and turn them off we need enzymes to come in to chop them up yeah okay, okay. so in the stomach the concentration of hydrogen ions is greater than a hundred millimolar right which is, which like I said, in the blood, it's 0.00004 so millimolar. So what's the pH of it then? Between uh, two to three. Okay. Yeah. So it's very, fairly low. Yeah. Okay. And in the pancreas, some of the fluids that the pancreas releases, it's below 10 nanomolar. So like between eight and 10. Correct. pH. pH. And that's to neutralize that acid coming, coming into your intestines. Exactly right. Okay. All right. Before we move on, just... Quickly, just tell the listeners, Mike. Yeah. Um, what are, what are the main reasons why we want to keep that pH at that seven point three five, seven point four five range? Well, because of uh, to be succinct, is to keep those proteins working, happy, healthy, and okay. efficiently. Uh, let so me give another. Ex- so basically, if it goes out to that range, serious things will happen. Yeah. So, uh, but different. Um, proteins, different structures within the body will respond differently to depending on how drastic the changes are. So, for example, the proton pumps within our body. We know that nearly every single cell in the body has a proton pump to create a chemical gradient. And Mm -hmm. these chemical gradients, they'll either help the brain fire off or the heart to contract or whatever it may be. These, The activity of the sodium-potassium ATPase pump, its activity will fall by half Okay. If the pH shifts by one pH unit. So this is a pump. This is a little bit of machinery on your cell membranes to keep the equilibrium or to keep the concentration of sodium and potassium in the right level. That's right. And so it's it's dependent on energy. Yep. So it pumps out generally three. Sodium goes out of the cell. That's right. Two potassium goes into the cell. This yep. is happening all the time. Oh, yeah. Without it, we'll be gone. Okay. And you're saying... If the pH does what? Changes, shifts by one pH unit. So is that, what does that mean? So let's say if it shifts from uh, uh, 7.5 yep. down to 6.5, okay. your sodium potassium ATPs pumps, will, their activity will halve. Okay. Now, if we have a look at um, uh, a very important enzyme called phosphofructokinase, okay. now this is involved in uh, getting energy from glucose, mm-hmm. right? So a sugar, making so, making an energy molecule from sugar. That's right. Now, this is important to get all this ATP, all this energy from, from glucose, from sugar. If the pH drops by less than 0.1, so let's say it goes from 7.35 yep, to 7.45, oh, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. Or 7.35 to 7.25, its activity will drop by 90%. Wow. So and this is important to get energy. So yeah. so the pH, again, so it depends on where we're looking at. But what we're trying to highlight here is that small changes in pH or small change, which are indicative of small changes in hydrogen ion concentrations, can result in drastic okay. physiological consequences. And therefore, we have these buffer buffering systems in the body to stop Resist that. that. Yep. 
Now, before we go on to the, what these buffers are, yes, let's just quickly tell the viewers, listeners, yeah. Yeah. not really viewing, are they? No. Um, what, where are these assets are coming from? All right. So, um, my question to you, Mike. Yes, man. Where is the greatest, greatest source of acid in the body? So, In the body or coming from into the body? No, no. Within the body. What is the greatest producer of hydrogen ions within the body? Yeah, more or less. Mm. I would say carbon dioxide. Wonderful. Excellent. That's weird though. Like so from the outset. CO2. Yeah. So carbon and two oxygen. Mm. How does that produce hydrogen ion? All right. There's no H there. So first of all, it's just... maths. Just Math. Maths. Just tell everyone firstly yeah. um, where ca- carbon dioxide comes from. Okay. You're, you take a breath in, you bring in oxygen. That oxygen jumps into your blood and that oxygen travels to all the tissues of your body. Yep. The oxygen gets taken into the cells. Yep. Gets taken to the mitochondria. With? The mitochondria will use that oxygen and a little bit of other stuff. So glucose, for example. Well, basically... You make it sound like not important. Well, it's uh, pretty we'll, important. We'll a, bit of, a little bit of this glucose. So glucose plus oxygen... Thank you. ...gives you 32 to 34 ATP molecules. Okay. But with a byproduct of carbon dioxide. Okay, so that's the exhaust fume. Basically, yeah. So they're like your little production plants. So now we've produced carbon dioxide, which then goes back into the blood. Yeah, and so carbon dioxide, which I read this morning, is actually considered kind of a a volatile acid. Yeah, absolutely. So so when you put CO2 as this volatile acid, uh, or gas almost, Mm. into your, out of your cell, the first thing it's probably going to hit is what's 60-ish percent of your body? For me, muscle. Okay. <laughs> Water. Water, yeah. yeah. So that's again that boomerang. Yeah. So when you chuck CO2 with that boomerang, H2O, it's going to give you this long thing called H2CO3. That's which carbonic, is carbonic acid. Carbonic acid. But carbonic acid, mm. it's in the name. Acid, what does that tell you that carbonic acid is going to do since it's an acid? H2CO3, yeah, so it's an it, acid. So then, yeah, okay, Mike, I'll get it. It's going to be able to donate those hydrogen ions or protons. So, so H2 H2CO3 will donate a hydrogen ion. So H+. So you minus one H from H2CO3. Yep. What are we going to have? We'll just take it one H off. So we just HCO3. But because it. we've taken a H off and taken a positive with it, we're left with a, a negative, negative with a HCO3, so it's HCO3 negative. So that's the anion, right? That's the anion. So, carbon dioxide, CO2, plus water, H2O. You just do the maths, you add them together, gives you H2CO3. So that's how you get your acid. Yeah, that's carbonic acid. It hates itself because it's an acid, so it splits itself apart. It releases a hydrogen ion, and now you get H plus with HCO3 negative. Okay. So, the H plus is that proton, the hydrogen ion that does all the damage. Yep. And the HCO3 negative is what we call the conjugate base, and that's known as... Bicarbonate. Bicarbonate. All right. Very important physiologically. So the take-home message here is the greatest source of acids in your body is actually through metabolism and the production of CO2. Correct? Correct. And so when you are bumping up your metabolic rate or you know, or need to produce more ATP, like mm. exercising, mm. you're going to be producing heaps more CO2. Yeah. Therefore, you're going to, in theory, kind of go more acidic. Yeah. Therefore, you need to get rid of that pretty quickly. Yep. Otherwise, you, as we said, you're going to die. Preach it, Maddie. So, <laughs> therefore, you need to get rid of it. Yes. So, I mean, 
as you all know, what happens when you exercise? One of the first things that happen, you breathe quicker. That's right. Okay. But let's pause there. Pause. Because I just want to talk about some other ways of getting acid into your body. Okay. So, that wasn't kind of an intrinsic way of getting acid. Mm-hmm. There are still other extrinsic methods. Mm-hmm. So, like you ingest certain foods that will have capabilities of producing acid. Can we preface this part of the conversation by saying that we're not talking about specifically eating or drinking acidic or basic foods Mm, because that does not change the pH of your blood. However, if you ingest more proteins, for example... Certain types of proteins. Certain types of proteins. That can produce more hydrogen ions. Yep. So, I believe... Don't drink alkali water is basically what I'm saying because what it's not going to have any effect. Okay. By the time it hits your stomach, you got, like I said, a Being huge concentration. One, one two, three. Yeah. All right. So, I, I read just recently also that um, I think animal proteins give you a greater propensity of producing more acidics. Why? Uh, I think it's just the amino acids in the proteins. So, um, for, in- for instance, the amino acid uh, cysteine um, has sulfur in it. And so that has the propensity to produce the acid, sulfuric acid. Yep. Okay. Then you have uh, phosphates. Yeah. Okay. And so this is not so much, well, I guess phospholipids. Yeah. So cell membranes. So whether it's plants or animals, phospholipids can be broken down into phosphoric acid. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already spoken about hydrochloric acid. Um, another one, this, these two are probably more intrinsic. So like happen within the body, like CO2. Um, we have something, if you exercise really vigorously yes, uh, and you don't get enough oxygen down to your cells, we go into a, what we call an anaerobic phase of metabolism. What do we produce? And we produce lactic acid or yeah. lactate. Yes. Right? And so lactic acid <laughs> is, it doesn't have the, the, the glucose hasn't got the ability to go into the mitochondria. It just happens within the cell cytoplasm. And as a result, less ATP is produced, yeah. but we produce an acid. Quickly. Fair, we, fair we, to say? Well, yeah, we do produce ATP. But yeah, we a, do, but not but at the same amount. Correct. And the other one, which is more of a pathology, mm. is, well, not always, but generally it's associated with um, going into a different metabolic state where you don't have the abundance of carbohydrates and you go into the use of fats, mm. and that's called ketogenesis. That's right. Um, that produces acids, Beta- like, now you say them all because I... Beta-hydroxybutyrate. Yep. Uh, acetoacetate. And acetic acetone. acid. And acetone, yeah. And so that can be just in through normal diets or lack of carbohydrate in, in intake. So I think if you do it through normal dietary means, you won't get the acidosis. You won't produce a sufficient amount of hydrogen ions to, to change your blood pH. Okay. But if you do it, but if it happens... Pathologically. Through, pathologically, so... Most commonly. Uh, diabetes, type 1 diabetics yeah. who either aren't managing their insulin or haven't taken any insulin or don't even know they're a diabetic yet. What happens is... certain, you know, they're they're sick, just had surgery, their demand's gone up. Because I think it's important that, as we know, we did a podcast talking about um, using... We did diabetes. Yeah, but we also spoke about using glucose... Uh, as an energy source, uh, fatty acids, glycerol as an energy source and proteins as an energy source. That our body is going to be using glucose a lot of the time because that's what our brain wants and needs and we will also be using fats to a degree and, mm-hmm. and some proteins. But I- insulin is is that key, is that trigger to tell us to start utilizing glucose. 
right? Mm. So it tells us to bring the glucose into the cells and start metabolizing it. And I think it's also, it, it's a anabolic, right? So it's, it allows you to store um, fats and so forth easier. And so when you don't have that, you break down fats. So without, with zero insulin in the body, yeah. that's when this ketogenesis really starts to kick in. And then I'll, the take-home point is um, the ketoacidosis is an acid-forming state. Yeah. And then so people, let's say, with diabetes ketoacidosis, which is an acronym of DKA, mm -hmm. can be quite devastating as well because they their pH will drop, okay, go towards um, the zero side, and they can be really sick. They can mm. be um, altered levels of consciousness <clears throat> to in a coma yeah. to dying. So yeah. Pretty serious. So there are the sources of acids. So yeah. we spoke about what an acid is, what a base is, what a yeah. buffer is, what's yeah. important to regulate in pH, yeah. and where do you get the acids from. Yeah. Let's finally finish off, because I think we're going to run out of time today to talk about um, how we clinically test it, mm. which is the ABGs. Mm. Let's just quickly talk about what are the different types, very briefly, different types of buffers in the body. Yeah, okay. So you got so probably extracellular the and intracellular. It's probably good to state. So within the cell or outside the cell. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's just quickly knock off proteins. Mm -hmm. So as we spoke about kind of a bit earlier, proteins are just these complicated arrangements of amino acids. Mm -hmm. Now in the amino acids, they have these structures. Um, at one end, they've got an amino end, which is, what is it, CH3? CH4? yeah. Ability to, to swing between a three and a four. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. And at the other end, they've got a C double O H. Is that right? Yep. Okay. With the ability to go um, with the H or without the H. Now, each amino acid will have this join into their next neighbor, next neighbor, next neighbor, next neighbor. Now, that means depending on what type of amino acid there are, and there, I believe there's 20. Is that right, Michael? Yeah. 20 types of amino acids. Depending on the type of amino acids in these proteins would determine the capacity of the proteins to suck up hydrogen yeah. or donate hydrogen. Yep. So basically, you have proteins in your body and what's mm -hmm. the most, particularly the blood, what's the most abundant protein in your blood? Do you Albumin. Oh, yeah, you're right. But one of the best ones that's soaking it up is hemoglobin. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's intracellular. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, you're right. Yeah. I mean, hemoglobin's in the red blood cell, Yeah. but its its capacity of buffering is in the extracellular fluid. So yeah, well the yeah, so the main intracellular buffers are proteins and phosphates and yeah. hemoglobin is the main buffer with in red blood cells. If you look at extracellular bicarbonate carbon dioxide yeah. system which so we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about in a second. second. That's the most prominent, but plasma proteins such as albumin and inorganic phosphates are also buffers. Um, your bone also acts as a as a buffer because it can absorb hydrogen ions in got, exchange for so sodium it's got and phosphate potassium. In it. Phosphate, calcium. Uh, yeah, it releases calcium, carbonate, phosphates, bicarbonate. So why so is that necessarily important to mention? Because acid base changes can also change your bone structure to a degree. Mm. So if you've um, if your body's kind of trying to balance out or buffer uh, an acidic environment for a long period of time, mm. you might actually demineralize your bone, which That's makes right. it weaker, mm. which may give you... You can do the experiment. You can take chicken bone. Hey, actually. Oh, yeah. This is a really cool one. I did some work experience with uh, an orthopedic surgeon, mm -hmm. and we had a builder come in, and he broke his humerus. Um, wasn't so very wasn't, funny. Wasn't funny at all. So, it was his upper um, bone. Oh, is that the humerus? Well, not everyone's anatomist like you. Okay. Um, so... He broke that bone. Don't ask me how, but he broke it. 
And he came in, so it was set. He came in, I, I can't remember how long, maybe let's say three weeks later? Yeah. Maybe a bit more, four weeks later. Re-X-rayed. Hadn't healed at all. Not one little not, bit? Not one bit. Why? So, the surgeon said to him, hmm, Bob, builder, <laughs> <laughs> do you drink Coke? Oh. And he said, no, of course not. I drink Pepsi. <laughs> and so I looked at him and go, why are you asking that? And he said, well, in cola, I think colas, they have phosphoric acid. Yeah. yeah. And so that phosphate is sucking um, uh, out of the bone, out of the yeah, bone. Yeah. So that's causing a buffering thing. Yeah. But it also pulls the phosphate, probably calcium out of his bone. Mm. Therefore, he doesn't want that to happen because he's trying to heal. Yeah. So he can't heal. That's so, interesting. So they then said to him, you got to cut off... Because he's having, you know, six cans a day. Mm. And he's like, oh, you didn't need to stop that. Oh, so man. he's cu- stopped, came back six weeks later, healed. Wow. So this just indicates phosphate. Yeah. So phosphate is a buffer. Yeah. Too much hydrogen, too much uh, base plays around with that. Yeah. So it can fluctuate between a basic and an acidic state. Right? So you can do a, a little experiment, which we do with our students, where you take some chicken bones and you bake them. And you can put them in vinegar. And if you leave them in vinegar, which is an acid, for long enough, you take them out, the bones can bend like rubber. And the reason Uh why is because you're taking out all the mineral deposits. So the bicarbonate and the phosphates and the carbonate and so forth. All of this... So what does baking do? Does that cause... So baking gets rid of the uh, extracellular matrix. So the... The The collagen. uh, The collagen and so forth. So one gets rid of the organics, one gets rid of the inorganic. Makes it brittle. So it keeps it... So remember that the minerals harden the bone and then you've got all the gels and fibers which sort of um, hold it together. So one... Collagen one. Yeah. And so if you put vinegar in, it's going to get rid of those minerals, demineralize the bone. And and it makes it rubbery. Makes it rubbery. So is that there's so a disease like that, isn't it? Is it Paget's disease? Maybe. I Don't that. put me on the spot, Matthew. All right. So that's it. that's a good one. So yeah. the first buffer that we'll just we spoke about proteins already. So proteins can be extracellular, intra, intracellular. Yeah, they let's just push that to the side. Yeah, we've done that. Let's talk about the main buffering system. Weight, phosphate. We just spoke about yeah. phosphate can fluctuate from its acidic and its more basic form. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and what is the most common? Uh, types of phosphates in the body? Well, phosphate that's coming from ATP, for example. Yeah, very good. So, you, the, the the form of phosphate is dihydrogen phosphate, which is H2PO4, okay? And then it can swap into the proton and then HPO4 to negative. Yeah, yeah? which is the major form. And yeah. th- I think the most common ways you get the phosphate or the most uh, abundant types of phosphates in the body is from ATP. Yep. Yeah. Adenosine, try, 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 try. Yeah, I try, try, and try and get phosphate, yeah. or glucose, glucose one phosphate, which yeah. is a, a energy byproduct of yeah. glucose, right? So that's the phosphate. So we've so far we've got buffers of proteins, we've got the buffers of phosphates, and what's the big one? The big one is the bicarbonate carbon dioxide buffering system, and this bicarbonate buffering system has. Uh, bicarbonate involved and that is the base and uh, carbon dioxide involved and that is basically the acid because we basically 
<laughs> and so carbon dioxide, we know when it mixes with water, releases the hydrogen ions like we stated before. So that's an acid. It's producing hydrogen ions. And the bicarbonate mops up the hydrogen ions. We didn't state that that equation that we spoke about before, which is the CO2 plus H2O, carbon yep. dioxide plus water, gives carbonic acid, which is the H2CO3, which then splits off and releases hydrogen ions yep. and bicarbonate, that that's reversible. We didn't actually state that. And because it's a buffer, it needs to be reversible because if it wants to absorb or mop up hydrogen ions, it goes towards the direction of the CO2. And if it wants to produce more hydrogen ions, it goes towards the direction of the bicarbonate hydrogen ions end. Right, So I always like to picture it sitting on like a little balance beam in which... Depending what did on what you call that last time, teeter totter. Teeter, teeter, teeter totter. <laughs> I think it's a teeter totter in the states, isn't it? One person, a seesaw. It's yeah, a seesaw. I prefer seesaw. I think most people would. <laughs> <laughs> and so, depending on what's going on, so if so, this is how I like to think about it. If, for example, you have too much or too many hydrogen ions in the body, it gets mopped up by the bicarbonate and pushes that equation in the direction of CO two production. And so, what do you do? You start <laughs> breathing heavily. I thought you said, we're going to say turn into a dog. Yeah, you turn into a dog and you breathe out all that CO2 because that's how you expel the acid, breathing right. out CO2. Because uh, carbon dioxide is the volatile acid. That's right. Whereas the hydrogen and probably lesser degree, the carbonic acid, is a fixed acid. Yep, that's okay. right. And so this carbonic acid or bicarbonate buffering system you need to be aware of the bicarbonate that's involved yeah. and the CO2 that's involved. Okay. okay. So the bicarbonate is the base and the CO2 is the acid. Now, yeah, yeah. this is the major buffering system in the body. Yep. Okay. Now... And it's just to recap, it's called the bicarbonate buffering system. Bicarbonate buffering system. Sometimes you'll see it written as the bicarbonate ca- uh, carbon dioxide system. Okay. Right. Now, there's two major body systems that actually play around... With hydrogen ions and bicarbonate ions. Okay. So just to pause for one second. Which we've done many times because you like to <laughs> I always like pausing. Um, so am I sh- uh, safe to assume... Maybe that, not. ...that when your body is in this constant dynamic state of yeah. going between slightly... Teeter-tottering. Teeter-tottering. Um, depending on what you're eating, consuming, and... Be- Depending on what your body's doing metabolically, <laughs> metabolically, yes. yeah. metabolically, and also uh, if there's disease states, etc., how much you exercise, and all this kind of stuff, all this stuff is determining, you know, if your what buffering systems are working. Is Absolutely, yeah. Okay, your body's and in. So maybe you could assume. I've got nothing to back this up, but you could assume maybe that when um, the system's a bit overwhelmed, let's mm-hmm. say then you need to bring in maybe these respiratory or the renal system to try and... Because um, the, the proteins, the phosphates, the intracellular buffet may be a bit overloaded. Yeah, I mean, you can, if, you, if you bring it back to first principles and have a think about what happens, the thing... If we have too many hydrogen ions in the body, yeah. it's constantly going to be buffered by bicarbonate, right? And so the bicarbonate will bind to the hydrogen and will ultimately produce CO2. And so you're going to have CO2, and that CO2 needs to be breathed out. Now, mm-hmm. our stimulus for, respir- for for breathing, for ventilation, is CO2 levels, right? Hmm. It's, not, it's high CO2 levels, not low O2 levels. 
Yeah. And it's because CO2 levels can change far more drastically because of the bike, because of the hydrogen ion concentration in the blood than O2 levels dropping. Because if I were to, for example, right now hold my breath, what's happening there is that the O2 that I've got in my bloodstream is going circulate. It's bound to it's bound to hemoglobin. It's going around and predominantly. it's predominantly ninety eight point five percent of it's bound to hemoglobin. Yeah, the yeah, rest yeah. is dissolved in the blood. Yeah. As it's moving through the cardiovascular system, small amounts of O2 will be delivered to tissues. Not all of that O2 is going to disassociate right from mm-hmm. the hemoglobin. Mm-hmm. So as the even though we like to say that the arterial system is oxygenated and the venous system isn't. It's not necessarily true. It's yeah. just a little bit less oxygen in the venous system, right? Yeah, yeah. So when you hold your breath and you don't bring any new O2 in, O2 is continually circulating and you're only giving off small amounts of O2 to the tissues because your body's actually quite good at saturating the hemoglobin. But what tends to build up far more quickly is the CO2. Mm. And so that CO2 that's building up then stimulates chemoreceptors. Do you know where some of these chemoreceptors are in the body? Well, there's the peripheral ones and then the central ones. So yeah. I, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the the, the peripheral ones, uh, they generally are more uh, reacting to carbon dioxide. Yep. And that would be like aorta and the carotid body. Yep. And then you have the central ones, which are in medulla, which yeah. is right near your breathing center anyway. Yep. And that's... CO2 but more hydrogen right yeah it's both and so I think that's also what's in the CSF so the cerebral mm-hmm. spinal fluid as well as what's crossing over from the blood yes so the stimulus to breathe is going to be that CO2 and it's because we need to get rid of the acid yeah it's pretty, that's sen- why. pretty sensitive stuff so yes. um, then we can assume that um, if whatever's happening in your body um, is overloading all these buffering systems then you might kick in to your breathing Mm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'd say. It, but the thing is, it doesn't... Which is really playing around with the CO2. It, and it, it might be... I don't want the listeners to think that the breathing mechanism is the last mechanism. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's not as though it's going to use all these buffering systems and now it's overwhelmed, now we're going to be breathing like this. It's not. That's not necessarily the case. It doesn't take much for your breathing to kick in and control uh, your uh, carbon dioxide levels and... Hydrogen, mm. and therefore hydrogen ion And I guess you, in, if in a lower amount, you might not even know that your respiratory rate's increased, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, think about it. 7.35, 7.45, anything below 7.35, you're going to have to, you should start probably worrying, mm. right? You get to 7.2, you get acidosis. And that acidosis is just telling you you've got far too many hydrogen ions floating around in your bloodstream and it can be dangerous. Okay, so let's talk about that now, I think. Well, let me first talk about the, the two major systems of the body that control All right. the buffers. Yep. Okay, so like I said, the main thing we want to focus on here is CO2 yep. and okay. hydrogen ions and bicarbonate. They're the major things. Now, the CO2 and hydrogen ions are quite synonymous because if you've got more CO2, you've got more hydrogen ions, right? Okay. And then the bicarbonate is going to be the conjugate base that can mop up mm-hmm. the hydrogen. So to make things simple, if you have high CO2 or high hydrogen ions, you're going to be closer to be in, being in a state of acidosis. Mm. If you have low levels of carbon dioxide, low levels of hydrogen ions, closer to a state of, state of alkalosis, right? So alkalinity is the same as base, basically. And I think... Um, just to confuse the listeners here, which you've already done, <coughs> I do that a lot. You can actually be because there's a difference between acidosis 
and acidemia. Uh, absolutely. And so acidemia is referring specifically to blood. what's going on in the blood. Yeah. That's right. And so I think that's more likely to be a, a constant well, well, in that one case, whereas an acidotic, you could be maybe have a degree of acidosis somewhere and a, a degree of alkalosis somewhere else. Mm. But the collective amount, so it could be mixed, but the collective amount in the blood can only be one. That's right. And 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 so when we're doing an ABG, which we'll do next podcast, podcast yeah. we're actually looking at what that state is. So yeah. if you've got an acidosis that's in your blood, so it's more like an emia really, right? Mm. Or alkalosis or emia, and whether it's, which you're going to talk about now, is it's coming from the respiratory or... Yeah. So, so if you're looking at, uh, basically, if you're looking at the hydrogen ions going up, and the carbon dioxide going up, acidosis, like I said, if they go too low, it's going to be alkalosis. When you look at the bicarbonate, if the bicarbonate goes too high, alkalosis, because the base is going up, or if the bicarbonate goes too low, acidosis. So that's mm. important for the listeners to be aware of, because basically... So there's really only four states if out of whack. Yeah, basically. And so listeners need to be aware that this is pretty much what's going to happen. Now, the thing is that the body can control carbon dioxide, hydrogen ions, and bicarbonate through different mechanisms. Yeah. And it's mainly through two major body systems, which is the respiratory system and the renal system, right? Okay. Now, the respiratory we sort of touched upon because through gas exchange, we get rid of carbon dioxide. Mm. So if I hold my breath, I increase carbon dioxide, which means I increase the acid. Yep. So if I don't have enough hydrogen ions, what do you think I could do? <gasps> hold my breath. Mm. If I have too many hydrogen ions, I start breathing faster and get rid of, wash out that CO2. Mm. Um, so there's that. The re- So that's how the respiratory system controls acid base, through CO2 explicitly. And because it's a fixed system, it can only really do, like your lungs as a collective, two lungs mm. as a collective can only really play around with the speed, right? Yeah. Or the, maybe the depth and speed. Yeah, that's right. Whereas the second system you're going to now... Mm can probably fine-tune it a bit more. Yeah, we often say that the respiratory system is an acute means, short-term means for changing blood pH. So what does that mean, like minutes? Minutes, like really seconds, minutes? Seconds. Second minutes, hours. Yeah. Playing Absolutely. around with the acute level. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whereas now moving down to the kidney... Which, which we haven't stated. The renal system is now the second system that can control blood pH. And that's both levels of hydrogen and bicarbonate. Yeah, so we know from our previous podcasts... We spoke about where hydrogen ions can get reabsorbed and excreted, for example, mm. in the kidneys, uh, and where this happens for bicarbonate. Yeah. And so, basically, when we look at the renal system, we stated that at the proximal convoluted tubule, that's where we reabsorb, so that means throw back into our body, back into our blood, 85% of the filtered bicarbonate. Mm-hmm. And so, we spoke about carbonic anhydrase inhibitors, yeah. right? We spoke yeah. about the... the as the diuretic? The diuretic, yep. And that it inhibits... So this is like a cetazolamide. And this inhibits um, this bicarbonate reabsorption happening at that tubule. So this can... Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, okay. So um, at the distal tubule, we excrete bicarbonate ions. So that's where we pee it out. So, we in, so this is how our kidneys can control our blood pH by reabsorbing bicarbonate if we need to become more basic or expelling... Hydronines. And remember, that's what I spoke about in terms of when I climbed Mount Everest. Oh, that's um, right. Less oxygen up there, breathing quicker. As I breathe in more, 
I'm not only getting more oxygen, but I'm dispelling or getting rid of mm. CO2. Yes. So if I'm getting rid of my CO2, that more means basic. I'm big. That means I'm actually losing my hydrogen yes. indirectly, which makes me more basic. That means my kidneys need to do what? Uh, excrete more bicarbonate. Right. Which I did because I kept on had to go to the toilet and pee. Yes. Yes. All right. So. Now, shall we talk about the different states in which the body can be in? So, because... Yep. So, I think... You can uh, have acidosis or alkalosis, but it can be due either to respiratory means... Yep. Which basically means you either have too much CO2 or not enough CO2. That's basically respiratory acidosis, too much CO2. Yeah. Respiratory alkalosis, not enough CO2. And then you can have metabolic acidosis, which which is, is, which is bicarbonate-driven. And a bit of hydrogen. In terms of bi- bicarbonate levels. So basically, when we do our ABG next week, our blood gas, we're going to go through this systematically. Mm. But essentially, the take home message is if you have an acidotic or an alkalotic state, Acolytic, and you want to yeah. see if it's coming from the respiratory system, mm. you're purely looking at CO2. Yeah. But if you want to see if it's metabolic, whether it's an acidosis, first you've got to know the pH. Mm. Um, and then if you've established it's a pH issue and you think it might be a metabolic cause, then you're purely looking at bicarbonate. Yeah. Okay. And so when we look at metabolic acidosis, we're so looking at... So this is going to be, like you said, it, it could be due to uh, decreased uh, urinary secretion of Hydrogenons. Yeah, it could so be you're holding a, on to too many. That's right. It could be a... So what are, we, what are we doing? Acidosis? Metabolic acidosis. Okay, so it's metabolic, so it's within the body, out, outside the respiratory. Yeah. So uh, should we should we go one by one and start with the respiratory? We've done it. Yeah, sure. It. Let's start with respiratory. Okay. I so think it's easier to get the head around. All right. Let's start first. Respiratory acidosis. So two, two words point, in there. The first point I'll just make mm-hmm. before we go into the particular diseases, mm-hmm. um, I think the, the real... Essential take-home message is whether it's a respiratory acidosis, so pH too low, or a respiratory alkalosis, pH too high, we know it's coming from the lungs. It's simply either you're breathing too quick, which is going to be alkalosis because you've lost too much CO2, Mm. or you're breathing too slow, like you said, holding your breath. So you have all your conditions which are causing by hypoventilation, or, on the other end, you have all these conditions that are causing hyperventilation. Mm. So, so it's, it's basically, you know it's respiratory-based. And it, it may not just be air into the alveoli and air out of the alveoli. Right. It could also be ventilation perfusion, right? Yeah, that's right? So it could be a ventilation or respiration. Remember, ventilation is air in and out of the lungs and respiration is gas exchange at the tissue. Yep. So... Some of the, like you said, some some of the basic causes for respiratory acidosis. So start with start with acidosis. Yep. Okay. So this is essentially too much CO two. That's right. And some of the causes could be decreased alveolar ventilation. So that means there's not enough air going in and out of the alveoli. Okay. That makes sense because that means CO two can't get released and it's stuck in the blood. Yeah, and one of the most common causes of that is Uh, drugs, drug overdose, drug no. I know if drugs you, if definitely. You, if you don't, if you're down at the alveolar level, mm. and it's just a, an exchange issue. Oh no, I'm not talking about. I'm talking about ventilation. I'm talking about uh, air getting in and out of the alveoli from the atmosphere, air coming oh, okay. out from the environment into the alveoli and coming back out. So you got decreased alveolar ventilation. Okay, so let's start. We're just moving through the, the exchange out in. Mm. I mean, like the most obvious would be 
um, if you're doing acidosis, we're, so we're retaining CO2 mm. or our breathing rates um, hyperventilate, hypoventilation, mm. so not enough to what it should be. Yeah. Start with what drives the speed of your breathing. Okay, so are we going to start central, go start exactly. centrally and move outwards? Yeah, so brainstem or the okay. respiratory center in your brainstem, yep. which dictates the speed. So medulla and pons are yeah. basically respiratory control there's centers. A, there's a depression there. Okay. So it's being depressed. Yeah. And so some common things would be... Drugs. Yeah, like opioids. Yeah. Or anesthesia. Yes. Okay. Or too much alcohol. Okay. So I wouldn't know. Or um, brain injury. Mm-hmm. Things like that. Sedatives, that kind of stuff. Okay. And then we... Well, let's before we go down into the tract, let's uh, just have a look at what else you need to have a good breathing. Uh, so you need the um, musculoskeletal system. Yep. So you have need to have um, nerves going down to the muscles to tell them to work. Yeah. And so if you have uh, neurological problems. So, so it could be a peripheral nervous system issue. Yep. So you might have... Well, Nerve damage. Yep. So I think it's Guillain-Barr syndrome. Yeah, Guillain-Barr syndrome. Or you might have spinal cord injury yep. if it's really high up. Above, yep. Or you have phrenic nerve, which innervates the diaphragm. Some um, lesions somewhere. Myasthenia gravis. Yeah. yeah. Good. And then you go into the wall itself. So that could be more anatomical. So yep. people can have broken, broken, rib. broken ribs. Or polio. Maybe not here in Australia, but polio, they had to go into the iron lung because of the, the fact it's a musculoskeletal disorder. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't get that breathing happening appropriately. Scoliosis. Scoliosis. Severe scoliosis. So scoliosis and kyphosis and lordosis, they're all basically um, uh, structural issues with the spine. Yep, vertebra. Lordosis, I I can't think of having a big impact on it, but scoliosis, probably kyphosis could. Yeah, maybe not lordosis because that's just basically like a hunch. But scoliosis is an S-bend, you know, lateral S-bend yeah, yeah, of the yeah. spine. And that's going to alter the where the ribs sit into the spine and where those ribs then articulate with the musculature. And how well it can expand. Yeah. Another, and surprisingly, another big one is um, obesity. So, really? Yeah, because you have an increased intra-abdominal pressure, oh. which restricts the lungs expanding. Well, there you go. So these are all... Issues in all of these systems or areas can result in hypoventilation, yeah. which is decreased air in and out of the lungs. Essentially, yeah. Okay. And, and then you go into the lung itself. So this is intrinsic lung issues. So yeah. you might have problems with the lung expanding. So yeah. these are restrictive diseases. Okay. Like sarcoid- sarcoidosis. Sarcoidosis, yeah. yeah. And then you go down to what you're saying in terms of patent airways. So this probably... Pulmonary edema as well, by the way. Yeah. So that's... Probably gas exchange. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about that in a sec, yeah. And then you go to, like, chronic obstructive pulmonary diseases. Yes, so that's going to be, like, asthma, chronic bronchitis, emphysema. These are narrowed or blocked airways. So it could be blocked due to mucus, or it's narrowed, like, in asthma because the smooth muscles constricting air can't get in and out. Or it could be due to emphysema, for example, where the alveoli walls start to disintegrate and you don't have an appropriate surface for gas exchange to occur. Or pneumonia where you've got a lot of, you know, pus or um, fluid extradate from that infection. And it's important to say that if you do have some sort of pulmonary edema, what's happening there is that the increased fluid is at the respiratory membrane. And gases want to move across the thinnest membrane possible. If you've got a fluid there, that's a thicker medium to get through, right? And so that alters the, the ability for the gases to diffuse through. Yeah. So, so these are the major... Major causes, categories, categories yeah. of respiratory acidosis, yeah. and that's all driven by all that is essentially hypo ventilation. Yeah, and I think we go, did that well, don't you think? 
Well, I thought we kind of did, but yeah, who knows? <laughs> now well, we move to the opposite, the which is which is the respiratory alkalosis. Yeah. So this is the opposite. You're breathing too quick. Yeah. You're getting CO two out too too much. Yeah. So think about it. CO two washout was sometimes. Caught. When do you? When have you seen someone who is breathing really quick? When they're hyperventilating. Yeah, and so that's brilliant. So. Thank uh, you. Okay. I love it when you when you commend <laughs> con- me on on knowing what I should know for my job. A condition, a condition that causes a person to hyperventilate. Yes. Tell me. Uh, anytime you see me come into work, you get anxious, mm. and this anxiety forces every time I walk past your office door, you're breathing into a brown paper bag. I think and that now you get confused with me vomiting. <laughs> So which, which, surprisingly, if yeah. I keep doing that, that would cause me to have an uh, acid-based problem if but, I yeah, keep vomiting. Of course. We'll talk about that shortly because yeah. that's metabolic. Very good. Um, so, respiratory alkalosis, anxiety can cause somebody to hyperventilate, yep. and that's breathing too quickly, which means you wash out all the CO2. If you wash it all out, it's not in your blood, which means there's no hydrogen ions being made, which means you've got a mismatch between hydrogen ions and bicarbonate ions, and you're alkalytic. Yep. And you have alkalosis. Can we can we just quickly? I think it's important to say when somebody hyperventilates and they pass out, that's got to do with the fact that carbon dioxide and oxygen play around with the diameter of the cerebral vasculature. And when you have not enough CO two, your cerebral blood vessels tend to constrict. Okay. And the blood going to your brain reduces and you pass out. Okay? So that's why when somebody is hyperventilating to stop them from passing out. They give them a brown paper bag. It doesn't have to be brown. It's just a bag to breathe into because they're recycling generally the not CO2. Plastic. I think that's the point. Yeah. I mean, Matt paper. has handed me a plastic bra- bag to breathe into. but um, I was just trying to suff- suffocate. <laughs> and you breathe in and out of that because you're reintroducing the CO2 back into your mm. body so to you're maintain it. levels. Which, you know, in, in the clinic, you will have some oxygen masks that are rebreathers. So you are recycling the air that's going out. Makes sense. There's so many studies coming out about giving patients O2. We'll talk about that another time. Yeah, I think so. Um, So anything else that might cause a person to breathe quick, like pain? If a person's in a lot of pain, they will breathe more rapidly and that could cause a pH issue. Um, Other thing, going back to drugs. So certain drugs um, like salicylates. Yeah, like aspirin. Yeah, Yeah, salicylic acid, aspirin. Yep. Um, obviously, if I don't know why, do you know why? Why why aspirin uh, intoxication can cause this? No. Yeah, we should, probably should have investigated that. <laughs> Hypoxia, um, so up on top of a mountain, like, like you I stated spoke. before. Yeah. Um, that was last summer when I was um, on the North Face. I was wondering why you don't have those any of your toes left. Yeah. You your feet look like the bottom of an elephant's leg. <laughs> they do have toenails. Yeah, you've got toenails, but you got no toes. All right. Uh, other things, are infections. So you have mm. a fever or you've um, got some kind of in- inflammation on board. You could cause uh, an increase in breathing. Um, probably, I think you spoke about chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, but I think also um, acute asthma can cause an increased breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, that could The short, sharp, shallow breaths. Yeah. But if you do it enough, it will wash out CO2. Yep. Yeah. All right, I think so that's respiratory done. I think that's respiratory. So I don't think there's much else we've kind of missed, is there? No. Are we talking about compensation today? 
compensatory? No, no, no. That's next week. Okay, okay. Or next podcast. So let's now talk about metabolic acidosis. So now we go away from the lungs, but we still are looking at what would cause a, a state... We'll start with acidosis. What would cause a state of increased hydrogen ions? So it's basically the addition a of... decrease in bicarbonate. Yeah, so it's basically an addition of acids other than carbon dioxide, right? Yeah. And bicarbonate... And carbonic yep. acid, sorry. It's, an, it's, it's acids... In addition of those of acids outside of CO two and carbonic acid, or the removal of of bases. Yep. Right. So you've either got something on board, like we spoke about earlier, which would cause that addition of acid. So we said certain things like lactic acid, um, diabetes ketoacidosis. Yep. So shock can put somebody into lactic acidosis. Uh, and then you could just lose a lot, a lot of bicarbonate. How do you lose, lose your bicarbonate? Um, if like Matthew, you decide to uh, travel overseas and you tend to eat off the street and you're not used to eating off well, the street. When he says eat off the street, it doesn't mean literally eating off the pavement. Well, that photograph that your wife sent me would say otherwise. Okay, I dropped that rorty parcel. Severe vomiting and diarrhea. I don't think so much vomiting, I think it's more diarrhea. Cause vomiting, absolutely. No, but vomiting, you're going to be losing acid. Yeah. Right, not so much bicarbonate. Oh, uh, sorry, of course. I'm thinking yeah. alkalosis. Yeah, absolutely. So Just, yeah, diarrhea. Diarrhea. Because you're losing a bunch of electrolytes through that. Which actually I did develop from my, my trip to India, and I ended up in hospital in uh, Singapore. Yes. I'm not sure what my pH was. I didn't take it. But I did pass out. Ah, well, that's <laughs> that's your vasovago syncope. No, no. Well, that's another separate thing altogether. We should talk about that. Maybe not your specific case of vasovagal. Every okay. time you spew so that you pass out. Loss of like bicarbonate that. ions can be caused by um, diarrhea. Yes, okay. severe. Or maybe takes a fair bit. Renal issues. So, or yeah, decreased urinary secretion of hydrogen ions. Or increased. Did you say increased? No, we're talking about acidosis. So it's a decreased secretion of hydrogen ions. So you're holding on to too many hydrogen ions. Oh, yes, sorry, yes. Yeah. Or, so, or loss so, of too many bicarbonates. So which is renal failure. Yeah. So renal failure can lead to metabolic acidosis. All right. Does that make sense? Yep. Now, what's happening to the partial pressure of carbon dioxide in the blood here? I know we're going to talk about it when we do ABGs next week, but we spoke about respiratory acidosis, respiratory alkalosis, and we mm. said CO2 levels are changing. Yeah. Do you see CO2 levels changing at baseline for metabolic acidosis and metabolic alkalosis, or can you see no changes in CO2? Well, I think we'll really get into that next week podcast but essentially i think you'll start to see changes with the lungs trying to compensate yeah but f- a baseline you don't really see co2 changes oh. because the causes are not co2 driven yeah all right yeah i think i think that's what you're saying <laughs> we'll talk about it next week so, so what a- another big one is lactic acid yeah. Um, so this is where you exercise very vigorously. Um, I don't think you can exercise enough to get into metabolic acidosis. You can't get into, as far as I'm aware, you can't get into metabolic acidosis through exercise. It well, has to be through something like shock or injury. Well, I'll tell you a quick story. I had is a, it boring or is it interesting? I don't think it was. Um, I had a, in my health science degree, mm. I had, or actually the health science diploma, I had a, um, uh, it wasn't a professor, but the academic, mm. he was a sports scientist. Okay. And he did a lot of work with um, cyclists. Yeah. And he, he said to me, it was his anecdotal, he said to me that... Um, the toughest sportsman that he's worked with, a cyclist, to, I push, would to, agree. to, to push himself. Oh, yeah. And he said, um, 
He was in the lab doing the VO2 max yep. where they had the mask on and all that stuff. And he was kind of trying to motivate this particular cyclist. Yeah. Push at, him to extremes. Yell at him, swear at him, yeah. do all that kind of stuff. Smack him in the back of the head. Um, Kick call him. him. Call him, you know, names. Yeah. And he was... So basically every day I come to work with <laughs> him. And so he was pushing him pretty hard. Yeah. And I think he was like getting to his max. Yeah. And um, there was a knock on the door. And this spot, the scientist, the academic, went to the door and just said, look, I've got a thing on. Walked back and the guy had fallen off the bike. Yeah. And he had passed out yeah. from, presumably, this as an issue. Oh, so they didn't test his blood pH. I don't think he did. I don't reckon. Look, he, he may have been on the cusp of pushing under 7.35, but I really, I, I really can't see exercise pushing somebody to metabolic acidosis. It, can't, it's, it won't be maintained. Lactic acid doesn't stay around very long in the body. It goes back to, yeah, to the glucose substrate. That'd be interesting. Let's put that I, out I to the listeners. Think it's Let's put it to the listeners and see if they can... Prove, prove get, me get, wrong. I'm happy to be... I'm always happy to be proved wrong as long as it's not by Matt. I think that the majority of the time that you get lactic acidosis is due to shock. All right. There you go, listeners. There's your job. Prove Michael wrong. Prove me wrong. Good luck. And then you'll get a special gift if you do. By me. By me. Okay. I was going to say, you can purchase the gift. All right. Uh, is it an audio book? Uh, no. Is it a song? Is it a song that you wrote specifically Look, about anatomy and physiology? It a, um, that's a it's still on the wraps. Any, anyway, so we've got lactic acid. We've got loss of bicarbonate through my trip to, to India. Yeah. Uh, and we've got also ketoacidosis, which we spoke about as maybe in diabetes, but some people may get it if they starve in starvation. Yeah. I think you would if you were in the... I think you'll have other issues before you get acidotic. You, you're a skeptic I, to acidosis, aren't no, you? No, no, no. Well, no, I, I just think that when you're truly kicking into ketoacidosis... It's got, you've got to have zero insulin in the body, right? You've got to have no insulin. If you even have the smallest amount of carbohydrates in, and, a, and a functioning pancreas, you're going to release insulin and you're not going to be in acidosis. Uh, as far as I'm aware, I but think... But isn't also keto, ketogenesis also incumbent upon how much the liver... Ketogenesis, yes, but not ketoacidosis. So you can, you can go into ketogenesis on minimal carbohydrates. So you can still eat carbohydrates and go into ketogenesis. Mm. But becoming ketoacidotic, I think you need, to, you need to have huge amounts of ketone bodies. And this needs to be due to zero insulin. Okay. All fat producing ketone bodies. That's right. as far, and again, prove me wrong, please, 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 please. I, I, may, be, I may be partially incorrect there. I think he's going to be. So, thanks, listeners. Thanks for proving me wrong. Now, the final other thing that is yeah. commonly causing an acidotic state metabolically yes. is the ingestion of some, uh, not, I guess they could be toxic. Like what? Alcohol. Oh, yeah. Ethanol, methanol. Or causing uh, metabolic acidosis. Yeah, what's the mechanism there? Of, of it? Maybe, uh, whether it's an acid in itself, I'm not sure. Nah. What's methanol? As in, like, what's its pH? No, no idea. But really, I didn't know that. Mm. Are you sure that's just not due to uh, its subsequent renal failure and kid and and uh, what's the liver what's failure? the the byproduct, the breakdown product of uh, ethanol? Oh man, that's a good question. I don't know. So, what's your liver making into? I should probably know this. What do you think it is? Of ethanol? Are you saying ethanol or methanol? Let's go ethanol. 
Uh, because I know methanol is not going to be a good one. I know that you got an enzyme, alcohol dehydrogenase, and it transforms ethanol into a, uh, a, uh, uh, acetaldehyde. So that would be acid producing. Yeah, I think it is actually because it can. Yes, because acetal. Yeah, because acetaldehyde um, turns into acetate. And yes, okay, that makes sense. And what were you saying to me earlier? I was saying uh, how much I respect you <laughs> as a fellow academic. So, methanol, ethanol, ethylene glycol. That sounded uh, like a little poem. Yeah. Actually, it was. I got it from a, an, another. Ethanol, methylol, methanol, e- ethylene glycol can it all turn into acetate. And is that is what it? you breathe off when you go over the limit? It's acetone. Acetone. Is it? So, when you breathe in the breathalyzer? Yeah. What is that actually measuring? It's not oh, uh, sorry. It's acetate and acetone is a very similar structure, which is what... So, when you're breathing in the breathalyzer and you breathe out the acetate and it goes beep and it mm. picks up, uh, let's just say you're also a diabetic who hasn't taken your insulin yeah. and you're functioning off ketone bodies, yeah. which is acetic acid or yeah. a- acetone, mm-hmm. you're breathing that out and that also tests positive on the breathalyzer. Oh, okay. So, and it has a distinct smell to it too. Yes, that's right. All right. What was there others? All right. Yep. The final one is the metabolic alkalosis. Yes. So this is where you would have too much bicarbonate in the system. Mm-hmm. So in your arterial blood glass, which we'll do next week, you've got too much bicarbonate on board or you've lost excessive amounts of hydrogen. And so this could be from the other end of um, food poisoning or a bout of... Diary, no, no, vomiting. It's vomiting. It's vomiting so. Loss of hydrogen through vomiting because so obviously heaps in your guts. Yep. Or you could have it through the use of diuretics, like we just spoke about. You're losing too much. And hydrogen. what about like sodium bicarbonate therapies, like intravenous sodium mm-hmm. bicarbonate? You can infuse think, too much. And I think excessive amounts of antacids, like. Um, do you take antacids? At all? I, I have been known to dabble in the antacid. In the bicarbonate, if I have too many spicy foods, maybe I'll take an antacid, which is basically bicarbonate. Yeah, so you got to take a fair bit, though, man. Okay. Because again, the bicarbonate itself is going to be buffered. So if you're healthy, you don't have an underlying pathology, and you're not induce uh, putting a huge amount in, I can't see how it's going to. All right. Justly, I think that's everything. Was there any anything else you want to talk about, man? I tell you what. It's over an hour. Is uh. Are our listeners going to email me and correct me on a whole bunch of stuff? I hope they do. I hope they cite a whole lot of papers and say, you know, Michael, here's an, here's an example of strenuous exercise causing lactic acidosis. And also the whole acetone-acetate relationship there. Mm. Alcohol. Uh, prove me. Talk, you know, give me some Ethanol, methanol, ethylene, glycol. Or Do they all produce acetate? Or they all produce an acid forming. Yeah. Okay. All right. I so, think that's it. So next week, next podcast, which will be next week, we're going to talk about ABGs, which is arterial blood gases, which as medicos or aspiring medicos, what are you going to do? You're going to measure. You're going to take some venous, uh, arterial not blood. Not venous. Not I venous, didn't say that. Michael. You can take venous blood and measure these things. Well, but they're, they're not as accurate. Um, you can take some arterial blood and look at the arterial blood gases. That's partial pressure of CO2 and O2. And you can look at... Uh, bicarbonate and you can look at sodium you can look at a whole bunch of stuff you can look at sodium ions through 
through uh, arterial blood. It's not part of the ABG. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about ABG. No, no, no. It's not part of the ABG, but ABG is including what we spoke about today with some other things. Yep. So I think that's a long session for I know. Hopefully, everyone has paid attention. I'm sorry for uh, talking about numbers and the amount of zeros at the beginning of this podcast, but I think it's important you understand what pH means. Again, if you want to contact us, we've got Twitter, we've got Instagram, we've actually got Facebook. We didn't talk about Facebook. Come follow us and join us on Facebook. That's where you can post some questions. The Facebook page is Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. Easy. Mm. Our Instagram is at the handle GU Biosciences, all lowercase. Find us. Our in, uh, Twitter handle is GU Biosciences. And you can send us an email with any topics you want us to cover yeah, or to tell me how wrong I am or give me some more info. I mean, Matt's obviously always wrong, but I'm wrong part of the time and I like to be corrected. So send me an email, gubiosciences at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. That's great, Mike. Thank you. And I will see you all for the second part of our Acid and Base next podcast. I don't want to say next week. It'll so. be next week. All right. Uh, thanks, Mike. Thanks, mate. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.